0: But if we don't address the process, you're gonna blame technology again and again when it's actually on you because you don't have good processes in place and compliance to that.
1: Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe, where you're hacking the leadership code. I'm Brian Comerford,
2: and I'm Nick Lozano. Today, and today we're joined by our. Uh, oh, okay, Brian, yeah, <laughs> you, you say whatever you want.
1: <laughs> today we're joined by our buddy Ryan Deeds. We're gonna we're gonna talk data.
0: Woohoo! <laughs> was like my favorite thing was like it's weird right like, it gets me excited and it just feels depressing i mean it's, like, it's, it's sexy to me but it, and then i look at him like wow that's terrible that's not what i thought it would be you know early on in my in my life
1: well you know
2: <laughs> so ryan thanks for joining us again um you were on one of our earlier seasons, Um, but if if anyone's not familiar with you, if you could just do a real quick rundown of who you are, a little bit of your background, maybe just a couple minutes. Sure,
0: absolutely. Um, I'm Ryan. I started with... um insurance agencies in the early 2000s, 2002, been working, pulling data out, trying to, to use data to value for the past, you know, 20 years in my agency career. I worked with independent agents, I was CIO of two of them, before I moved over to AssureX Global, running data strategy for them, which is a conglomerate of about 110 agencies um, and did some cool stuff there. And then I got invited to kind of join a, an InsurTech startup that was addressing this very specific specific problem. And I was like, yes, please let me, let me come on board. And so that's where I find myself today working in an insure tech startup called Enable. And, um, you know, our whole goal is to make the data journey for insurance agencies easier, faster, and uh, more impactful. That's beautiful. I used to also have a podcast. I had a kid. We lived in Florida. We can keep going, you know. But, oh, yeah. That's, uh, that's, the, that's the main
2: You used to have long hair.
0: I, I'm throwing it <laughs> out, bro. It's coming
2: back. Like, it's coming. it's coming back. It's making a comeback. Hey, nice. hey. That's right. A comeback. You
1: know, I've been here for years. Well, I imagine. You know, I'm giving it my best shot, man. This is, this is like 10 days right here. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Well, I imagine that uh, you're not going to be able to work many more places because, you know, lately your routine has been every place that you work, you get a tattoo. So, I mean, pretty soon you're going to look like, you know, the illustrated man.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, it, it, It's funny because, you know, I mean, anybody that knows me, I'm kind of, I would consider myself kind of a deep dude. And I think about this whole work and life experience that we kind of go through and how much. I identify with the job that I do, um, you know, and these jobs have really put me in a position to enhance my life and to create value for my family and drive that forward. They're part of, they're intrinsically linked to my story. There is not, there there is Ryan deeds without it, but I don't know what that looks like. Right. I mean, I'm a, I'm an insurance agency data person. That's, that's at the end of my life that's going to be a gigantic section of it. And so, you know, and for Enable. So when I got to AssureX, it was just like such an honor to be invited to that and to be able to join them that it totally made sense. And then Enable, you know, I I I'm a I have some Ownership in Enable, and I had fought my whole career with agencies to try to get ownership and equity, and then I go to Enable and I, I'm able to get that, and I was like, oh my god, this this just this is it, this is the this is the chance, and so it 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 did, it really made sense for me, and I knew that at some point in time it would be a good conversation starter. You know, you're sitting there on the table, you know, drinking a beer. What's that? Okay, let's talk. You know, and so that was kind of the the deal. I, I don't know how many more of those I will get. <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe, maybe a little or something. Maybe they just sell it. Like, hey, I'll come
1: work for you. <laughs> you That's mean, right. That's $300, right. Three hundred
0: thousand dollars. I'll get like a big.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Like a, like a race car driver. Yeah,
2: right. And you're already sponsoring them. That's right. Yeah. Exactly correct.
1: <laughs> That's beautiful. <laughs> Well, you know, talking with Ryan Deeds about data is, you know, it's like eating a pizza, because uh, even even when it's bad, it's still pretty good. You know, <laughs> so, um, <laughs> you know, Ryan's one of those uh, rare breeds who uh, who can definitely put the sexy factor in a conversation about data. So I'm excited to to kind of go down that path with you today. You recently made a post on LinkedIn that I thought was really impactful. And for you, it was amazing because it was so succinct. Um, so that's kind of a you know a, another curveball that I wasn't expecting from you. But um, you know, really, the nature of that was the journey of getting from data to value. And uh, you know, we continue to. Uh, it, it seems like you know, for the last two decades, you know, data has continued to be this big buzz term. And everyone is still trying to figure out how to, uh, you know, really harness that uh, and make it impactful for their own businesses across so many different industry types. You know, and of course, you know, the insurance domain, uh, you know, that you're positioned in, it's one that has struggled with it for a long time, but it feels like it's starting to get to a tipping point. So, um, so I, I love that you kind of broke that post down into all of these different personas and how their definition of what the meaning of data, uh, you know, really translates into. So I'd kind of like to go through that and and just kind of talk about what that journey looks like.
0: Yeah. I mean, (coughs) you know, and, and I don't know, man, I felt like there's been a tipping point for the last five years, eight years, right? Like, I keep waiting. I keep waiting for like that that to finally fall over and everybody be like, yes, there's massive amounts of value in our data. We know we need to get it right. We we need to spend the operational cost on getting it. But I, I still don't see it. I, I think data is still a hype word. I think that it's you know, it, it, unless data modifies behavior, I, that's where kind of where I'm at now is like it's got to create some kind of modification of behavior. It cannot be a, a backing up of a gut feeling or, uh, hey, I'm just checking this. You know, it's really got to help with prescribed behavior. And, and so I was thinking through that. And and I think when when an executive says we need to use our data, that, what they really mean it, from their level is there is – Insight into how we can make our business better, how we can sell more, how we can be more efficient, you know, and we're, we can glean that information, and we can then put that to use. I think that's when when they say data, that's what they mean, and I think it's really challenging for the rest of the individuals in that chain to get to that place if those executives they want the results. Oftentimes, they don't want the expense. And the culture that helps drive that result, right? That's that's the issue. And so trying to illustrate each link in that chain was, was the genesis of that post. And because I'm spending so much time thinking about how to articulate that, because when we do say data, I think we whatever your experience has been, that's kind of where you're going. And it's that holistic individual that's been at all those levels that can kind of see that and say, "Eh, I know what you mean. That's not really what you're saying, though. You don't really want to do all of these things. You know, you think in your mind that there's this treasure trove sitting in whatever system you have, and all you have to do is dig a little bit, and now just wisdom is pushed upon you. Because even in that executive, even in that executive scenario, For that individual to look at data, to take that to conceptualize how they're what they're gonna do with it, and then to do behaviors and then come back and test the behavior that they did to see if that drove the result. You're not seeing that's not happening very often. You know, I mean, it's especially not in our industry. I mean, that's the dream case. Like, I, I want that to happen. I want somebody to come up and be like, all right, Ryan, we want to grow, we want to grow new business only, we want to isolate that. We're gonna use these four methods, we're gonna come back and test our growth and and see where we were, see what resonated. What didn't, and then we're going to make changes based on that. That never happens, right? It's it's literally like, hey, I know that there's value in there. I'm going to look at some stuff, and I'm just going to osmotically get this. And
1: that's right. Where's so, the so big button?
0: Challenge. I mean, even if you haven't. An- <laughs> Right. Exactly. <laughs> hey, even on the dashboards, like the early dashboards that I built up in your it was awesome because the staple, remember staples had the easy button, right? They had this easy button ad. And that's what I put on the dashboards is like, here's the easy button. And because, but it tried to lead them down the path be able to see that and it, but it's still so reliant i mean you have two executives one's uh one has been in the game for 50 years one's been in the game for 30 years one's a little more tech savvy than the other they look at the same freaking dashboard they look at the same data both take away different things you know and and maybe one's right maybe the other's right and and you know trying to correct for that i think is is really challenging and so you know when when somebody says data to me i just kind of like we got to dig into what that means for you. How capable are you of leveraging, even if you deliver every insight in? I mean, how many times have you actually created good analytics that's never been used? I've guaranteed, I've created more valuable shit that's never been leveraged than, than I've created valuable stuff that has been leveraged. I mean, some of the stuff I've created... That has helped. Has been awesome. But there's a lot of stuff that are like, we really need this, and you're like, I delivered that exact thing. Even and and I even went beyond. I delivered what you really meant me to deliver, not what you asked for. And here it is. And they they never ever use it. That's right.
1: And you you were in the test group, and you never even logged in. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, and and, I mean, your guys' experience in that similar.
0: I mean, uh, oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah, I, I remember.
2: I'd say that's like anything technology, right? Like, you come to build a solution, this is the whiz back thing that's going to solve everything, and then nobody uses it, right? <laughs>
0: well, and I think, you know, there's so many different things here that you have to really break down, you know. Like, I really like talking to agencies first and foremost before we even do anything. Like, I don't want to pitch product, I don't want I, I want to understand, you know, are you dealing with seven different projects this year? You know, do you have a stack of operational stuff and you saw a new shiny ball that you just want to throw on top and your ops team has no idea how they're going to implement that and put that to use? You know, where are you in this maturity level? You know, are we just in this like uh, cyclical kind of a buy because my buddy said it was cool and now I'm not really going to use it and I'm going to blame you because I didn't use it. And, And so I'd like to sit down with them and say, Let's talk through your culture. Let's talk through where you're at, what you're doing. What do you hope to gain? What are you losing out on today that you see that's creating fear? I mean, in our space, generally, it's it's benchmarking, right? I mean, it really is. Like, if, if most agency principles are driven to analytics from the customer need perspective, because they want to have uh, they want to be able to educate the consumer and sell with data in lieu of selling on the golf course, right? They want to be able to say. These are the coverages for your industry. These are the claims incidents. This is the frequency and severity, you know, to really come across as an educated um, seller and help that consumer feel comfortable about making that purchase decision. But so many times, you don't have the data in the system to be able to do that or you don't have the, the amount of data. And so then it comes back to this operational analytics that I have very nebulous thoughts about because it's so dependent upon the consumer of it to do something with it, you know? So that's the that's when I, when I think about leadership in data that's what I think about I think about all those things that we just talked through you know um, and then I, I you know as you go down that chain trying to understand where each person plays and and I think I laid out like a perfect scenario where you might have one employee that does each one of those tasks. And the reality is you have a leader that's devoting, what, two and a half percent to IT, all of IT, maybe three percent if you're lucky, right? And they've got two people in there doing 17 different jobs. They don't give the ability to have good documentation, good security, good scalability, that the person behind the scenes trying to create value, they create something valuable. The executive is actually like, oh, this is badass. We need more of this. You know, we need tenants. These, You have no time to shore it up. You've clutched this thing together. You, you, you have a fear that the shit's going to break because it was built so rapidly. You already know that it, it didn't have the scale, but now they've kind of got addicted to this small piece of wind that they found and they just want more of it right now. I mean, and so just trying to break that down for everybody. Cause I mean, that, that is, that's the reality that I've lived in in every organization. Right now is the first time I've ever been in an organization that has the staffing that's appropriate, that has the technical talent that's there, that has the data minds behind it. I mean, we have engineering teams that just do this stuff. We have a data team that just does data and rules and, and integrity checking. You know, we have a front end team that just does the front end. We have QAs and documentation people. I mean, that was, that was me. In, in whatever shop I was in, maybe one helper, right? Like, and I sure as hell didn't document shit. I mean, that, that was never my strong suit, you know? <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think we're all guilty of the documentation part, right? You're, you're building something and you're like, no, nah, I just need to build this. I don't, I don't have time to write down what I'm doing and build it at the same time. Well, so I feel you on that. Yeah,
0: that's part of the, I mean, that's part of the responsibility of the organization. I mean, if you're like, we want to leverage data. How many data people do you have? A half. You have a half of the data. <laughs> person, Right. All right.
2: Oh,
1: okay. 0.25 <laughs> right but she's you know, retiring you know, in six weeks <laughs> Right.
0: Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, she has all the institutional knowledge but we need you to take it and to make all that intuition into code yeah <laughs> get that done within
2: a month <laughs> <laughs> oh by the way it's an access database on her actual computer that's like 15 years old that's right
1: and and, <laughs> oh, and the OS is sold we can't actually back it up <laughs> So, I, mean,
0: I, I think that it is such a challenge um, because inversely I think sometimes you know if you're if you're a data engineer and you're trying to provide value to the business and you haven't embraced the business and if you haven't gone in and spent time in the domain to understand what the major threats are, the major revenue drivers are, the the main things are, then the way that you prepare, collect and anal- you know get that data together, may not be conducive to that end goal there's been oftentimes especially early on when i would build out infrastructure without an understanding they would say hey we want this report okay i'm gonna go get these five elements i'm gonna bring it over and and they're like no this isn't what i needed well this is exactly what you asked for though right but it didn't solve the business problem because i didn't understand the business problem so then it's slowing down as that data engineer figuring out how are you going to use this data? Like, what's your best case scenario? I generate something for you, you have something, what's your next step in that? You know, if it's to say, my gut was right, maybe that's not you know, let's not waste all the time and do all this stuff if it's to say okay we have low performing producers that have not sold business in the past four years we're going to put them on a remediation plan and if they don't correct then we're going to get rid of them we're going to spread those accounts out we're going to become more profitable bring in more if there's a plan of action based on what they're seeing and so typically now when i'm talking to individuals especially in agencies that's what i want to know is like all right We generate this for you. What are the three best case scenario? You know, no real, no real insight. Like you're, everything's okay. Worst case scenario. Worst case scenario. What are you changing when, when you realize the worst case scenario, what are the things that you are willing to do to correct that? And, and a lot of times there's not an answer for that. They have to go back and really think about what they are willing to do. Are you going to fire a you know a, a million dollar producer that's retired in place, that's not generating new revenue but does have a large book of business and a lot of relationships, you know? And if not, then don't look at that data point. Let's you know let, let's figure out what's relevant that's going to actually make you move that needle. So, but those are all very advanced conversations that I think you have to take a lot of beatings to get to the place to have that conversation you know
1: yeah absolutely well and you said it earlier uh you know where are you on the maturity curve and and that is a, i think a really critical yeah yeah it's a, it's a really critical question um
0: because i think so much of driven by fomo i mean i really do i think that just like right now i mean crypto is the nfts are fomo man i mean it's fomo it's i don't want to miss out and you know then and i don't know why but business people don't always tell the full truth. Like they'll bring a product in. They'll be like, man, this product changed our whole lives. Like CEOs will talk to each other and they'll be like, this thing was like the rainbow unicorn Pegasus, like doing all the things. You get on the phone with the COO and you're like, yo, can you walk me through that? And they're like, yeah, we installed that with three people. Two of them used it. They liked it. Okay. They used it for a day, (laughs) you know? And so sometimes that that fomo is not even real you know it's you got to break that down quite a bit to figure out what's the reality behind it but that's what i think drives a ton today it's just fear of missing out and fear of, of not value
1: you know another component of that fomo i think is uh it's the showing off mentality it's the well we've got that too actually we're even better than all of our competitors you know we we've got this technical maturity and you know, we've got all these great bells and whistles and, and and none of that thing, none of those things may even exist. Or if they do, it's kind of to your point, they're untouched. Like who actually utilizes them to do anything with those, you know, tools.
0: Well, I mean, I, and I think that's true. I think that, you know, that they, it, it is about trying to make sure that they remain competitive and remain relevant and that the latest tools. I think a great question to ask at least and again i don't have you know you guys probably have different experiences than i do because i've really lived only in the insurance industry agency space um you know is do you have a target client which has nothing to do with technology nothing at all but if they have gone down the path of identifying what their perfect target client is it talks about an operational maturity they can turn down risk they can turn down certain things that don't fit and And generally, that is a really good indicator of of where they're headed, what they're willing to do, the things that they're you know really wanting to drive forward because if they haven't even done that if if it's, uh, we write everything, we do everything for everybody, that's a good indication to me that they're not going to be willing to do what's needed to leverage this data to value to really drive those those core initiatives that have to take place I mean none of this shit is like a two week journey, right? I mean, this is every place I was in. It took two years. I went into Crichton. I had a five year plan at Crichton and it took five years to recognize that plan you know, it really did. But at the end of my time there, we were rocking and rolling and better than I could have ever imagined. Everything that you want as a data person was coming to fruition. Folks were engaged, using it to value. It helped account managers, you know, manage their lives. It really, really was beneficial. And I think from a technology perspective, that's our whole goal. We want to make the employees' lives better. Yes, we want to be efficient for the company, but on a human element, we have the ability to make employees' lives better, right? Take away the crap work, get rid of that. And when that can actually happen, which I think is rare, those are the magic moments that sometimes will drive a career and really stick with you and keep you sustained through, the, through lean times when that doesn't happen.
2: That was some of a question you actually hit on what I was going to ask you is um, understanding what your client or your customer or whatever it is is looking for, right? I don't know, like in my experience in data projects in the past, it's like, hey, we need this, but then you go do all your interviews, you start doing your research, and it's nothing the client or the customer even wants, Um, and you're kind of spinning your wheels and you waste all that time instead of starting in the front um, and making sure that you're actually solving a problem that needs to be solved instead of creating a solution and then finding a problem to put that solution to.
0: I mean, how many times have you been there and said, well, what, what data do you want? We want all of it. Why? Well, because we're gonna we're gonna use the hell out of that data. Like you you recognize that 90% of your data is garbage. You know, I mean why don't we pull out the things that are important? Why don't you give me four use cases on how we can make something specific better? Bring that out. See if the culture adopts that. Work on that specific issue, right? And then we can go get other things that we have gaps in. But I think too often it's the other way. I think that is changing some now, as people have got. I mean, we've gone, like you said, Brian. I mean, we've gone through twenty years of getting burned by the promise of data delivering value to us, and the, the, the every company out there and all the executives I think are in that boat. Like we've heard this. Story before. We've heard data is going to save the world. Data is going to do all this. It's the new gold, but I haven't seen that. You know, most of these guys have invested, have tried, and haven't netted that gain. And so, in a lot of cases, they're just like, yeah, nah, we're good we're solid. You know, yeah, data's cool. We can use it. But having Sally run that report and take her three days is fine for us. You know, we know how to use that information. You know, you coming in and doing all the crazy stuff, it may not be, you know, we're, we're just resistant to it. And I, and I think it's fair because I think that we promise as technologists You put a minimal effort in and you get a big result out. And that is not the way we should pitch anything ever. You're going to work your ass off. You're going to have to change a lot of stuff. You're going to go through a lot of pain. You're going to be lost a lot of time. And then two or three years down the road, you're going to wake up and be like, okay, shit changed. And and it was a slow grind to get there. And now we're at value. Now we can actually see... Our employee retention's going up, our employee satisfaction is better we 're servicing our clients. we understand what they need. Those are the types of large buckets that are actually solved. but you know how many times have you gone to an eighteen month project and, and they're like yeah we 're not doing this anymore it, it's not getting us there and you're like well that's because you're only halfway through You know
1: yeah I, I think there's <clears throat> another component of it that uh that's often overlooked, which is it's not like a process that just gets completed there's a, there's a continuation that has to be part of the cultural and behavioral change of everyone who suddenly has to become, you know, a curator and a data steward. That's how you keep, uh, you know, empowering uh, the growth and scalability and the quality.
0: Well, well, and that's why I think about cultural adoption so much. I mean, you know, when I, when I think about my greatest success as a data person, it was absolutely at Crichton because you know, what we could do is we could deliver the audits back to the end user almost immediately within a day, right? They enter bad data. They did something that they shouldn't have done. They missed a field. And again, this is not negligence on this part. This is not them saying, screw you. I'm not doing it. This is because they're doing 15 hours of work in eight. This is because they have three producers yelling at them. This is because they've got 24 renewals. They have to be done right now, you know? And, it, and so the tool that we created for that was this thing that would show them the mistakes that were made the, the day before. We'd only ever show them five at a time, but they would it, on their little dashboard they'd have a graph that said, "Hey, these are your, the the audits that we found." And ultimately, they really liked it because it would help with the no, it would help with retention, it would keep them out of trouble with the producers, and it would it would also then train them really, really effectively. Hey, I had to go and correct this seven times this week. That eighth time they remember that field, it just becomes a part of the flow. When the, when you don't do it that way, when you don't have a mechanism for that, they they have a hard time understanding first, what did they miss? Why is that important that I missed it? And so as so much gets put on our employees and I, and I really think it's leadership teams because how have you helped your employee find that stuff that is important? How have you helped educate them? How have you empowered them to do this kind of work and get that right? And if you haven't, then that's on you, man. I mean, Sally can't remember 500 fields to fill out and the right cancel reason to use and this thing and that thing. I mean, it's impossible. And so how as a leader, have you helped your organization handle that? Because if you can't handle that, then you're going to have a hard time having data strategy long-term
1: yeah so i'm I'll, I'll jump in with a, another comment there. You know, this is I guess one of the roles or personas that was not included in your list, you know, but it's it's the starting point of where that data comes from, right? it's It's like the the input person. Um, you know, what is the point of origin for it? And uh, you know many times, going back to the leadership component of this, what tends to happen is there's there's no management put in place to ensure that the data quality is is a process of continuation i remember building a a dashboard that gave what-if scenarios for salespeople and showing it to the executives they wanted some kind of what-if scenario so that they could actually you know start to figure out how do we fine-tune our budget and all of it was hooked into the crm system Which, of course, you know, the first response is, well, hey, we're looking at these numbers, like all that stuff's wrong. Okay, but it's what's in the system. Well, yeah, but you're going to have to fix that. I mean, the dashboard isn't showing the the stuff, you know, that needs to be there. Okay, well, like, why is it wrong? Well, because nobody's been updating it. Okay, well, that's not like, it's not a tech guy problem. That's not not an issue with the the visualization tool. That's a management problem because you're not actually enforcing the behaviors with your people.
0: Well, I mean I agree, man. It's just like just like we said, I mean, it's leadership. it's, it's you got to go through pain to get the result. If you don't go through the work, you you I mean, and that's that's always been my fear. Like I hate validating data on visualizations because, you know, if you validate on visualizations, so say that you have your dashboard and you're going to use it and you say, "Hey, I'm putting it out there and they're supposed to spend a couple months like making sure the data's right." They they learn to distrust that mechanism on the onset, you know, which, so I always like, I do shit in Excel first. Let's pull it out. Let's analyze this in Excel. Let's make sure our buckets are right. And if not, we're not going to go through the visualization build phase because just like you said, I mean, and I run into this at Enable, right? So we have, we have like producer goals. So you can go in and you can set producer goals. Well, producer goals and is written numbers, right? So you're never going to judge a producer, at least for an annual goal, based on billings. You're always going to be on enforced, you know, new enforced policies at time of bind. What was that amount? But the number of agencies that actually have a good handle and the ability to to make that work is very very limited. So you know, from our perspective, you have to qualify for that specific screen if your written numbers are within a margin of error with your billings over time. And if they're not, you don't qualify for the screen because it will just confuse everybody. It'll invalidate the platform. And then they don't know, okay, this number over here is right, but these numbers over here are wrong. And so I'm very, very cautious about you know, what we show and how we show it and who gets access to what, because I don't want to commingle. I mean, we can tell really, really good information from billings. And if they had good written, we could do some really cool stuff with it. But you can't base your value proposition on an analytics tool on written numbers when the vast majority don't have good written numbers. And so that was kind of our solve for that. But it, it that's, that's the struggle is like, how do you get everybody behind it but it's a leadership from top down, right? I mean, it's got a, Cooper Jones. He, he was the best. He was one of the best leaders I ever worked with for sure. And he made it a priority. He went in and he talked to the people. He un- told them what their advantage was. What would they get out of it? What was he looking for out of that data? What would be the detriment if they didn't comply? I mean, he, and, and so we had this whole thing and it took six months for us to put together working with HR, getting the incentive plans, getting the de-incentive plans. Figuring all that out so we could have that conversation with the staff about it and have them buy in. Because that's the other thing, Brian. I think if your analytics do not, are not, if the person being judged on the analytic is not responsible for driving the analytic, it, it's, it's invalidated almost immediately. And we see that in retention all the time. I want to judge an account manager on retention. Really? Because how much... Uh, You don't keep bad servicing account managers. You fire them. And that's the only reason typically an account manager would lose an account is if their service sucked, right? If their prices were, if they didn't renew in time, I mean, if there are certain things slipping through the cracks, you could see that, but you're going to get rid of those or do corrective action. It's not because we didn't have a, we didn't have this market. That's not their fault. That client got acquired. That's not their fault. I mean, and so like that's been something I've been asked all the time is we want to incentivize and give our account managers money if they retain, and if they don't, we want to do clawbacks or this different stuff. I'm like, well, that's not fair because they don't have control of that analytic. You can define the behaviors that drive that. If they comply to the behaviors that drive that for you organizationally, you can incentivize them on the compliance of the behavior. That works effectively, but then they're like, "Well, that's a whole lot of work." Well, yeah, because you're judging the behaviors, not the result. You want to look at a result that has a myriad of reasons behind it, and then associate and judge that individual for that. That's the quickest way to get employee engagement decreased. You know, by doing that kind of stuff.
2: I like how you did the uh, rapid prototyping. Basically, that you don't want to spend the time building a BI without. Um, or any intelligence platform without working the numbers in Excel first. And I think that's a great point, right? Like, why, why put all that time and effort without making sure the numbers are correct or that you're even presenting something that's even useful? Uh, so I think it's a great point that organizations, even if you don't have a large budget, like you said, is you can just start doing this stuff in Excel. Um, well, it's not an ideal long-term solution. It's it's a great starting point, right?
0: And I use that shit all the time. I mean, I don't care. If you come to me and you're like, hey, let's do a technical project. We've never done this before. We don't have a process. We're going to invent the process and the technology. I'm like, no, we're not. <laughs> if, I, if I'm on the project, we're not. What you're going to do is you're going to lay out the process. You're going to do this in the most simple, basic way possible. And it's probably going to involve Excel. It's probably going to involve you filling out some stuff. And then we're going to have that process. We're going to figure out the gaps in that process. And then we're going to bring in technology on top of that to make that better and make that more fluid. Because if you don't do that, what you never know is, am I fighting with an, a lack of technology and technological problems, or is it process and compliance issues? And typically it's a combination of the two, but co- process and compliance to process is a bigger challenge than almost anything else. So, and, and that, I learned that lesson when I, after I implemented my fifth CRM that failed, right? I was just tired of it. I was so sick of bringing in CRMs saying, oh, we're gonna use this, it's gonna be awesome. They would not have incentives or de-incentives. They wouldn't do the right stuff. And so when, when Crichton, you know, I was a year in at Crichton, they said, we need a CRM, Ryan. I was like, okay, but we're going to do it the way that, that I want to. And you're going to have your producers fill out Excel sheets, submit them into the the, the manager every month, every week, You know, do whatever that process looks like. That's how we're going to do it. And they push back. Well, it's not enough. It doesn't give them enough. Like, the CRM ain't for them in an insurance agency 90% of the time. It's for you to track a behavior that they're complying to to justify their existence if they're not hitting goals. Because those producers that hit goals, you don't give a damn about their CRM. You don't care at all. You just care about that money. It's I have a validating producer. I don't know where their time is going. I need to justify to make sure their activity is correct. That's why a CRM is in place. And every one of those producers knows that. And so let's get the process right. Then we can build a very, very simple CRM that does that, or we can buy what we can do, whatever we need to. But if we don't address the process, you're going to blame technology again and again when it's actually on you because you don't have good processes in place and compliance to that. Because I, I that's the problem that I see more than anything else with software is we're going to bring the solution in. Everybody's going to use it this way and we're going to get massive amounts of value and you bring it in. Nobody uses it that way. They get no value out of it and they say, that software sucked. <laughs> You're like, bro, what's up?
1: Sometimes the software does suck, by the way.
0: It does. I mean, but I would say that more often than not, I don't care about the wrench. don't care. I don't care. I don't care. Show me an agency that's using a, a AMS poorly, that has good training, good onboarding, continual training, updates that software, spends actually allocates budget and time to making sure that their account managers and their staff knows how to leverage that. you will never find it. It does not happen because they, they, what happens is, Hey, we're going to bring an AMS in. We have it in place. We hire Ben, the new account manager. We sit Ben down with Sally who's been using the system for 10 years. Osmotically Ben learns from Sally, bad process. Sally's like, this system sucks because she's using something that was, you know, done away with four years ago, but the agency never educated them on that. So, or they showed them one time and didn't continue to push that in there. And then everybody's like, every AMS out there sucks. I'm like, not really. I mean, most AMSs do pretty much the same things. There's a lot of similarities. The way that you invest in your talent, your people, your training, that sucks. You know, train, talent, really do it the right way. At that point in time, if you come to me and say, we need to make an AMS change, I'll say, okay, you really maximize this when you're using this to full value. And the three advantages that this system gives you over that system, you're going to actually leverage. But I've never had that conversation. That that's never happened. It's always been, hey, we're going to change the AMSs because we think this one's terrible. I'm like, well, in three years you're going to think that one's terrible too, so because you're going to do the same damn thing, you know.
2: I feel like some of that's with any technology, right? If if you don't spend the time investing and onboarding. Um, certain tools look like the whiz bang thing, you know, like we could be talking about CRM, like Salesforce, right? Everyone's like, you buy Salesforce, you get what you need out of it. Well, if your processes are crap and your onboarding sucks, it's going to be terrible. (laughs) So that's, that's all great points that you made up that, you know, organizations should really invest that time in training the employees, why it's important, you know, why Sally puts us in here, why it's important for this to be correct, how their contributions from their level, uh, you know, contribute to the overall success of the organization.
0: I think the product person for Outlook must be the maddest motherfucker ever. It just means must be so mad because when you think about all the power that Outlook provides, all the things that it does. You know, it, it is a it is a very robust tool that can really just do an amazing amount of task management, collaboration, but the users use about 20% of that, you know. And they they have this super big product that you just use this little bit about. And it's because of that, it's because of a culture of, and that's the most common use software in any one of our organizations. And generally it's, I know how to sort, I know how to search, I know how to move stuff to folders. If I go beyond that, I'm Googling it, I'm doing YouTube. And it's funny because you have a rockstar account manager that knows how to do like three extra things because they watched a YouTube video for like eight minutes. And now they're like, oh, you got to talk to this genius. And in my opinion, they are a genius because they're they're doing what needs to be done. They're shoring up their organization's lack of operational ability to train and bring value to that tool. And it drives me nuts because that is what I think holds us back from really maximizing this stuff. I mean, we get such a marginal return on the investment of technology, but it's because we put in a marginal amount of work to try to elicit that out of there.
1: So let me ask you a question about organizations that want to start the journey from data to value, and they know that they've got to allocate some budget, they know they're going to have to hire some resources, but they don't know where to start. What are a couple of the foundational pieces that they're going to need to put into place uh, to even begin the journey?
2: I mean,
0: again, I think it's first self awareness, right? I mean, I think that's that's the first thing. It's it's having the self awareness to really do a deep audit on your your organization and understanding what what what's the core things to your organization. Now, um, do you want to use data to value? Do you want to maximize the use of this new software? Do you want to help customers? Whatever that looks like, you've got to be able to define that culturally you know because that i think is going to set the framework you know I, I really want to get our people efficient on there for like three years i don't know if you guys remember i'm sure there's this big push on maximization of current infrastructure right we want to use all the things that we have and we want to use them as good as possible you know we really don't want redundancies we want to remove redundancies we want to leverage it to, to, to maximum value and and i mean and i think that was a good like initial push but you have to step back and say, okay, you know, first, we're going to stop bringing on new stuff. We're going to look at some of the processes that we have in place. But again, you have to bounce it off of what your goals are, right? So you have to kind of define what your goals are first to say, this is what we want to be. This is what we want to do. So I think step one is being self-aware and, and kind of laying out like, okay, This is where we want to be. Why we're having this conversation is obviously because we've seen something in the market that's doing something that we're not. We feel like we're missing out on something. We're not as efficient as we should be. We're not selling as... So whatever those things are that brought you to this place to have that conversation, lay that out clearly. At that point in time, you can say, okay... So if we're not being as efficient as we want, then does that mean that we are not leveraging our current technology the best that we can? Does that mean that we don't have enough technology? Does that mean that we have too much technology and people are going all over the place? You got to start drilling that down a little bit because once you identify that second layer, so I want to become more efficient, we have a lot of technology in place. We don't think people leverage it effectively. Okay, so that points pretty strongly to Let's start really, really dedicated training and and, and showing the end user how, the, how this kind of stuff is going to drive value and make their lives better, you know, but I think I there's not just a one answer fits all for that. It's, it's kind of having a deep dive with that team that says, what's brought us to this point, you know, what, what's, why are we having these conversations and, a lot of times it's stopping behaviors and, and it's hard to stop. I mean, we, we had this thing where you cannot bring any new technology in for a year. And it wasn't me. It was like producer X saying, I can't sell because I don't have this tool or, C, you know, a director Y saying, well, we're going to beat in the marketplace because we don't do we don't have these three things. Um, because we would just go buy the shit, you know, and we wouldn't have an operational plan for it. We would demo it with a couple of users and we'd forget about it because we were moved on to the next shiny object. So we knew that we had an efficiency problem and a confusion problem with our end users. And so we said, okay, we've got to, first, they have to have faith that we're not just going to be changing stuff every day. Cause if we do, they ain't learning this. There's no point for them to learn some stuff right now that they know is going to change within a year. You know, they're not going to invest the time regardless of what you do. So you're going to have to go back, have those conversations, reset that strategy, figure out where you are in what those goals are, and then break it down from there. And it's not as clean an answer as I'd like to provide, but that, that, that's the reality of it, I think.
2: I think it's a great answer. And uh, I know we're coming up here on time. So we're, we're going to, uh, speaking of time, we're going to put you on the clock for your uh, 60 second leadership hack. So I'm going to share a screen. Um, and this can either be a leadership hack, uh, personal hack, or just technology related in general. Um, and once you see the timer going, you are on the clock. So um, are you ready? I'm ready. If you want access to Ryan Deed's 60 second leadership hack, then you're going to want to head on over to our website and join our leadership hacking crew. You can do that by heading on over to pages.leadexe.com forward slash join. And for those of you watching on YouTube, I'll put the link down here in the video. And those of you listening in podcast format, I'll add it in the show notes. But if you head over there and join our leadership hacking crew, not only will you get access to Ryan Deed's 60 second leadership hack, but you will get access to all of our previous guests, 60 second leadership hack. So head on over there, join up, some great stuff coming your way. And we look forward to you joining our crew. Perfect. And with that, Ryan, that's a great place to wrap up. If people are looking for you, uh, what's the best way to get all the LinkedIn uh, email company website, (laughs) Tinder? Tinder. Okay. <laughs> that's the first recommendation we've gotten.
0: <laughs> no, absolutely. LinkedIn. LinkedIn is there. You know, uh, Ryan Deeds, LinkedIn, Ryan at enable.com. You know, that's where you can find me. Maybe Grinder.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and uh, real quick, uh, enable, you touched on it a little bit. Do you just want to do a quick couple seconds, let people know what enable is in case that's a product they're looking for? let
0: would say for insurance agencies, we make data easier. We accelerate your data journey. We will help uh, figure out where you are with data today and we will make it faster. And if you've got data issues, data concerns, I don't care about selling Enable that much. I care about helping you out as an agency. I'd love to talk to you. And Ryan at Enable.com.
2: Perfect. Uh, Appreciate your time, Ryan. As always, great conversation. Uh, Brian, do you have anything else you want to add on? I'll just do
1: some shadow puppets since you guys can't hear most of what I'm saying anyway.
2: <laughs> I didn't catch most of that. So, <laughs> Ryan, thank you. It's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for your time, man.
1: Thanks, Ryan. Thank you.